going to put these up on the wall for you here in a little bit. And I know that you can go back online and look at these later, but I would just encourage you guys. My heart is stirred about this message I want to share tonight. And I hope that you guys will get a hold of it like God's put it in my heart. Ephesians 5, 14 through 18 says this. That is why it said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And Isaiah 61 through 3 says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen on you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light, and the king to the brightness of your rising. Brother Bill, would you pray over the rest of the service, please? Everybody said, amen. If I were to give a title tonight on what I, want to uh, what I want to share, it would be, let's shine. And each day there are 24 hours, 1,044 minutes, 86,400 seconds. And each and every one of them is a precious gift from God. Every tick of the clock records the opportunities of life and what God has given or has given you and me. Understand that time is something that we feel we never have enough of, but yet we seem to give it away so easily. One writer puts it like this. Someone once said, time is free, but it's priceless. You can own it, but you can't use it. You can keep it, but you can't spend it. Once you have lost it, you can never get it back, and this is speaking of time. The Bible uses two words to describe time, and they are chronos and kairos. And chronos speaks of the extent of time or the quantity of time, but when it comes to kairos, it speaks to the kind of time or the quality of time. One translation speaks of it as an opportune time, a unique time, a specific time, a time that has been allotted, a time that is set aside, that within the time of that kairos moment, there is the possibility of something or someone having significant change that God will use in that moment to change the directory or to shift the atmosphere or impact something or someone in a significant way. I believe that tonight we all have an opportune time. We have an opportunity with time, with the life we've been given to make a difference in the kingdom of God. I want you all to listen to the story. There was once this businessman, very, very, very wealthy, and he invited all of his most ambitious executive, all these young single men, over to his house for this massive dinner. And after they had enjoyed all of the dinner, he invited all of them to the backyard, and he showed them this Olympic-sized swimming pool. And in the middle of it was this huge alligator. He looked at all of them, and he said, I'm about to give you all an opportunity of a lifetime. He goes on to say, whoever can jump into this pool, swim to the other side, I'm going to give you the biggest promotion. I'm going to write you the biggest bonus, and I'm even going to give you the opportunity to date my daughter. 
But before he could get everything out of explaining what he was getting ready to say, all of a sudden there was this huge splash and everyone was looking around to see what had happened, seeing maybe who had jumped in. And all of a sudden here's this young man swimming like there is no tomorrow. This young man could have beaten Michael Phelps to the other side. That day, I mean, he is swimming with everything in him. He, and here comes this alligator. He's swimming up behind this young man. And right at the very end, the young man just narrowly escapes the teeth of the alligator. This young man now out of the pool, leaning over on this chair, huffing and puffing, trying to catch his breath, heart racing. And this wealthy businessman, still in disbelief, walks over to him and reaches for his checkbook like, I can't believe anybody actually did it. And the young man says, stop. He said, sir, I need to say something. He said, I don't want your promotion. I don't want a bonus. And I care nothing about dating your daughter. But I do want one thing. And the wealthy businessman said, okay, what is that? I want to know which sucker pushed me in the water. <laughs> I'm not sure if this young man saw this as an opportunity of a lifetime. You see, we use that phrase a lot. Opportunity of a lifetime. But I want to say to you and everybody in here that your lifetime is an opportunity. Your lifetime that God has given you is an opportunity to make a difference, to make an impact. Our lifetime that we have been given, God wants us to use this, hear what I'm saying, to set things in motion. God wants us to set things in motion that will keep on going, keep on living after we have long gone on to heaven. God wants to use us. I want you to watch this. He wants to use us to touch the day, tomorrow. God wants to use our lives to leave a legacy for generations to come. But we need to understand that the legacy that you leave is the legacy you have to live. That legacy that you and I want to leave for tomorrow is the legacy that we have to live right here and right now. And we need to understand that God has given all of us with this lifetime an opportune time to make a difference. You see, Scripture tells us the oftentimes opportunities can be met with great opposition. 1 Corinthians 16 and 9 says, And the apostle says, Because a great door for effective work, another translation will say, Opportunity has opened to me, there are many who oppose me. Paul is saying here that God has opened up a huge opportunity to advance the kingdom, to evangelize, to win souls. He said, But with it comes great opposition. I want to encourage someone in here tonight that when God opens the door, especially when it comes to the purpose of advancing the kingdom and for the purpose of God, do not be afraid. Do not be shocked when you get met with great opposition. I want to encourage you that opposition comes. Don't back up. Don't compromise. Don't fold under the pressure. Don't give in. Because it could be the opposition you are facing is the very confirmation that God has called you to do what you're doing. Hold on and stand your ground. You see, the scriptures teach us the reality of time. The time, number one, is confined. James 4.14 says, For what if your life is even, even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away? It tells us that time is fleeting, Psalms 90 and 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Proverbs 27.1 says that times are uncertain. Verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. You see, we have to understand that life is filled with uncertainties. And if you haven't noticed in the last couple years, we are living in very uncertain times. Things have changed and they're going to continue to change. Stuff has happened beyond mine and your control. Life happens to all of us and some things we might have been ready for and some things we weren't ready for. But here's the thing that I want to encourage all of us in here tonight is that you have to know if you have uncertain times, your faith and trust have got to be in a certain God. 
Your faith and trust has to be in a God that does not change. Guys, I want you to understand, people will change. Circumstances will change. Culture is going to change. Society is going to change. But one thing that has and will always remain the same is our God. You have a certain God that remains certain in uncertain times. Times may be uncertain, but we have to remain certain in the fact that he that began a good work in you, he will perform it and he's going to complete it. I stand here tonight in certain times that God is here and he isn't done with me and he isn't done with you and he's going to finish what he started. I am certain that God is for me. I am certain that greater is he that is in me that's in the world. I am certain that the Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. Sometimes, you know what? I do feel lonely. Sometimes I feel like he's left me. Sometimes I get confused. Sometimes I've got more questions than I've got answers. But deep down inside of me, there's something that's stirring that always says, you know what? God's still there. He may be silent, but he's still there. Your God is certain and he will not leave you. I just want to say this with boldness. If God has blessed you once, he can do it again. If God has healed you before, he can do it again. If God has brought you out of it once, guess what? He's able to do it again. If God has blessed and prospered you, he is able to do it again. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the news tells us. I don't care what all the experts say. I want you all to understand that God has the last word on it. He has the last word over your life, and he is a certain God. And what he has promised over your and my life, whatever was spoken over you, that passion and that vision will come to pass. You say, why, Mike? Because he is God. Secondly, time is, you know what, there's, there's re, repercussions of time. What do I mean by that? Our text says back in Ephesians, see that you live not as unwise but wise, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Notice what it said there. There would be evil times. And Paul, in his letters to Timothy, he began to describe these evil times. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 true, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter, sometimes will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with this. He is speaking of the word apostasy. He is speaking about people falling away. Did we catch that? People falling away. And notice what he said, deceiving spirits, seducing spirits. Another translation says, Satan-inspired teachers. Another one said this, doctrines of devils. In other words, this is contradictions to the Bible, polluting truth and rejecting it. If that doesn't sound like what we're living in right now, but we have to remember that the word of God is not a menu. It is a manual. You don't get to pick and choose what might appeal to you. We don't get to pull out things that we don't like. I'm sorry to tell you that this Bible is not Burger King and you don't get it your way. If you didn't author it, you cannot change it. Only God has copyrights over what is said in the Bible. I don't care how you feel. Well, I don't feel that. That's right. That, that might offend that certain people or group over there. That don't seem like truth to me. Church, God does not kill about your feel, your seem, or your etc. when it comes to his word. God's word is God's word, and it does not change, and it is forever settled in heaven. He said there will be perilous times. Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slandered, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 
Well, if you think it's that bad, let's go over to 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will have itching ears that they will heap up for themselves, and they will turn their ears away from truth and be turned aside to fables. This here speaks of compromising times where, where I wrote it like this. When people used to have standards, used to have morals and values, and somewhere along the line, we have watered them down and we have lowered the standard. Remember, a standard is not something that we need to live up to. A standard is something that I refuse to live beneath. I will say it like this. We start justifying lifestyles. We start justifying actions, justifying this and that, justifying, well, what I'm doing is not that bad. It's just a little lie. It's just a little sin. It's just a little of this, a little of that. Who are we trying to convince? Let me tell you about compromise. The day's compromise that you make will end up in tomorrow's captivity. Small compromises will block big blessings. Compromise with the little things, and it's a matter of time before you start compromising with the big things. We are doing one of two things in this time right now. We are either drawing nearer to God, or we are being drawn away from God. It's one of the two. There's no middle ground here. There's no compromise on this one. But Paul is coming through to Timothy. But you see, it sounds like, it sounds bad that these times we're living in. Hear what I'm about to say. Everything that I've just read to you, it was not the world. All of that was describing what was happening with the church people. And Paul was writing to Timothy concerning the church he was serving. This is what was happening to church people. And Paul was not coming to excite fear. Paul was not coming to get Timothy an upset or an uproar, but he was coming to encourage him. That's why Paul said, endure hardships like a good soldier. He said for Timothy to stand his ground, stay in the faith, and don't forget what was spoken over you. In other words, just because things aren't happening, it doesn't mean that God is not still working. Don't let what a few people do, what culture will do, what society will change and do, keep you from what God has called you to do in this time. He said, I'm actually trying to encourage you because what he was actually saying, if there was ever a time that the people needed the gospel, it's in these times. If there was ever a time that people needed to hear about a man named Jesus, it's in these times. If there was ever a time that our nation and the nation of the world need to hear about a man named Jesus at a place called Calvary, a living hope, a savior, a deliverer, a healer, and a helper, church, they need to hear it now and they need to hear it today. And what Paul was saying to Timothy was this, this is your time. And I say here tonight to us, the palace of praise, this is our time. It's time for the church to say together, let's shine. Let's go forward. Let's shine like we've never shined before. It's time for the church of the living God to stand up and be everything that he's called us to be. This is not a time to draw back. This is not a time to compromise. I don't care what the world and society will say. I stay away with everything that will distract me from the goals and the passions and the desires that God birthed into my heart. Jesus Christ is Lord, and what can I say about this house? We will keep preaching and proclaiming the goodness of God until he returns, and we will not back down. You see, church, the devil is one messed up little nut. He thinks this is his time. Revelation 12, 12 says, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he's got a short time. A short time. So guess what? He's come with great wrath. But listen to this. Is the devil more time conscientious than the church? Because the devil is doing everything he can to get people into hell. But what are we doing? Are we doing everything that we can as a group and as a body to get people into heaven? I'm not necessarily talking about the building. What I'm talking about, you know what? 
I'll just say it this way. I will use me, Mike Lampkin, your kids, pastor, as long as you guys will have me, I will use anything and everything that I can to reach a child for the cause of Christ. But I will not, I will not, and I refuse to do what the society will do, I will not compromise the word of God to do it. So my question is, do you yourself have an urgency for heaven? Do you yourself have an urgency for the eternal? Do you yourself have an urgency to realize these are not normal times. These are uncertain and unusual times. These are times that if God ever needed his church, his people, right now is that time. That is why Paul said in Ephesians, it is up to us to redeem the time. It means in 516th Ephesians to get every moment, every opportunity that others may let pass on, that others will throw to the side, others may let pass at this time, but we the church will not. In redeeming the time, Paul said, there are two ways in redeeming the time because the devil, because the days are evil. Are you ready for this? He said, be not unwise, not knowing, number one, what the will of God is. He said, you've got to know if you're going to redeem the time, you have to know what the will of God is. And I want to say it, you will not know what the will of God is if you're not in the word of God. Some people are out here going, I just want to know what his will is for me. Y'all, it ain't going to fall out of the sky and hit you in the head. If you want to know the will for his life and your purpose in this time, then get in the Bible. If you're reading the will of God, you will know what his will is for you. And why is this important? The Bible says the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And in dark times, you need something that can light up the right path that we need to be on. And the will of God is found in the word of God. In a society, in a time full of lies and deceptions, we need to know the truth. This word, the Bible is true and is forever settled in heaven. You see, the person of Christ helps get you to heaven, but the principles of Christ help you live on earth. And Jesus said, men cannot live on bread alone. If it is not a time to pick up our Bibles on a daily basis and not spend it, I don't know when that time would be. Because I promise you, there are many voices, many voices that are lying to us. Parents, you better be aware, there's a lot of voices that are lying to your children. They're lying to your grandchildren. I get to hear it all the time from other kids, kids that ride the bus, kids on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. They heard this at school. They watched this on TikTok. Look what they're doing now. They saw this challenge on social media, and they have to do this. And you know, I feel a really angry righteousness when the word of God is being twisted, and I have to set a child down and say no. That's not how it works. I have even had to say to my own son, Peyton, I've had private times with parents and kids. I have boldly said the devil is a liar when it concerns your life. I know what I'm preaching here might seem elementary to some of you, but church, I'm telling you, you better know the will and the word of God. Kids, youth group, college students, those in the workforce, you better know the will of God and the word of God. With the times where you're in, you better know the will and word of God. Wherever you go in this time or wherever you are in this world, it's important to remember what you have learned in these times of coming together and in your private time. You better have the word of God hidden in your heart. I promise you, you will come across times in your life when you will be thankful if you have his word in your will and his will in your heart. And I promise you in that time when it's true and you know you got it, you will not back down. You will not compromise. You'll be able to say, I have truth in my heart. And then, be, and, and then he said in the scriptures, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine where there's exit, but be filled with the Spirit. 
You see, wine and drunkenness can only produce a temporary high. But being filled with the Spirit gives you a lasting joy. And I dare, for preaching and teaching purposes, go back to my personal B.C. days, and that's, that's before I knew Christ's days. I say this, and I don't say it with arrogance. I have no personal clue what it's like to be drunk. I have no personal clue what it's like to be high on drugs. But what I do remember was going through some very dark days of my own, thinking in my head, why does this matter? Going through the black clothes stage at school, going through the lying stage to my parents about every little thing. But then I remember this night over at Ninth and Cedar, sitting in the back by other teenagers and said, you know what? I'm tired of living my life in this way, in these uncertain times, but now going forward, I will choose joy. Stop acting like you don't know what I'm talking about because there comes a time when we have to decide with the time we have, will it be joy even though I'm living in uncertain times or, and I, or will I choose hopelessness and despair in these uncertain times? Guys, for me, I keep choosing joy, unspeakable joy. Every morning I raise up my head and I thank God I'm still alive. I'm going to choose joy today. Well, I got about this many meetings. I got to get all this done. I'm still going to choose joy. Oh, I got to take Peyton to this practice. I got to do this. I got to do all that. Oh, there's this going on. I still choose joy. There's so many things that I can get negative on real, real fast. But I want to keep choosing joy in my life. Instead of allowing ourselves to be under the substance of everything in the world, at some point in all of our lives, whether it have been alcohol, drugs, emotional problems, lying problems, whatever it may be, at some point this con- where we're controlled by something under the influence of something bad, but we needed to be under the influence of the Spirit. And you know what? When I got filled with the Holy Ghost, guess what? It did something to me. It changed the way I talked. It changed the thought process of my mind. I was walking differently. I wasn't going to the places I didn't need to be yet. Yes, I got more bold because the Spirit of God, it will give you boldness and courage to stand up and to stand your ground. You and I need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the times we are living at more than ever before. We need it so we can shine for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's try and, I'm going to try and start finishing. I want to preach for a whole lot longer, but I'm going to try to start finish. Here's what I've been trying to bring us to. The responsibility at times, notice the scripture says this. After they were redeemed, it says in Isaiah 61 through 3, arise and shine. I love those two words right there. Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. He said arise, which means to get up. It means to come up. It means to come out of a place of complacency. Come out of a place of apathy. Come out of a place of resignation. In other words, it's time for us to go in being passive to passionate again. Passionate about the things of God. Passionate about the word of God. Passionate about the house of God. Passionate about souls. Passionate about getting involved. Passionate about making a difference in someone's life. I've got one question for this evening. Are you just as passionate today as when you first came to know God? Do you love him more today than the first time he called you? Because sometimes when we've been in this thing a while, it's easy to start drifting and start going through the motions. It's easy to just come on Sunday morning, raise our hands for three songs, do a little prayer and leave and take Sunday night off. Folks, this is a very, very dangerous place to be in our life with Christ. You are positioning yourself to be spewed out of the mouth of God because this is what he calls lukewarmness. And what God's needs in these days and times is a passionate church that is on fire and filled with the Holy Ghost and ready to advance the kingdom of heaven. We need to be passionate about some of these things. We need to be passionate about our worship. 
passionate about our praise. But I'm going to tell you a few other things we need to start being passionate about. We need to be passionate about learning. We need to be passionate about discipleship. We need to be passionate about mentoring the next generation. Oh, this is going to be fun coming from the kids, Pastor. Passionate about doing your part in the body of Christ. We have to be passionate about everything when it comes to the kingdom of God. And here's what he said. He said, arise and shine in Matthew 5. It gives us teaching in this. He said, it's time for the church to shine. I love this. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampshade. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. Yet your, let your light so shine before man that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice what it said in the beginning. It says that a city on a hilltop cannot be hid. What it's speaking of is that cities in biblical times would be elevated on hilltops for visibility. What does that mean? In other words, when God said a city on a hilltop that cannot be hid, he is saying your elevation is about the Lord's visibility. The reason why God blesses you, the reason why you have been elevated, because when you shine, you are not shining for yourself. You are shining for God. And the elevation in all of that was for his visibility. So that's why when you are blessed, when they see you prosper, when they see you with influence, see with the impact, they have to recognize that's not you, it's God. See, it's God that elevated you to give him visibility to those around you. You see, we celebrate this with Esther when we say, come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Actually, if we were to read it in context, it was probably somewhat even of a possible rebuke for Mordecai. You know why? Because Esther was now royalty. Now she was clean. Now she was washed. Her hair was done up, looking nice, all of these things. And Mordecai is over there saying, I see you. But what he was really saying in this, don't you misinterpret this moment. Don't you get it twisted. Remember, you were just a little orphan girl and had not the king called you out. And now the king has got you. He's blessed you, prospered you, you, wrapped you in robes of righteousness, given you royalty and position as kingdom. Don't get it twisted. Don't mess up this moment. Mordecai said, this is not about you. He said, for you have come to a kingdom for such a time as this. That position, that prospering, that elevation is not for your shine. This is about me. He is saying you need to shine for a whole nation is depending upon you. A nation that could be slaughtered, a nation that could be torn down. You have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Church, it's not about us. This time is time for us to shine. We have our, pastor said this morning, the church is under attack. And it's time that we shine through it. My shine is not about me. And that's not, and you know, I want, mm, I'm going to stop right there. About got called in the pastor's office. Kidding. I want to go ahead and start closing. If the worship team would come. This is why it said, let your light shine. Listen to this. That they see your good works and then what? Glorify God. Light is not equated with good works. It's the light that illuminates them good works. Let me say that one more time. Light is not equated with good works. It's the light that illuminates those good works. It goes on to finish by saying that they will glorify God because of those good works. But watch this. It's not good works unless it's God works. And the reason it's good works is a result of the work that's been done inside of you and me. Because he did, that did a good work in you. He is doing a good work through you. And when people see those good works, they're going to glorify him. God the Father. And then what the light does, I want you to listen to this. 
See, we have to become a receiver before we can become a reflector. I receive the light. I am transformed by the light. And now that I have received it and been transformed, I can now reflect to those, relate to those around me. But we can't get it twisted. We can't get it messed up. John 1, 9, that Christ is the light and the light of all men. We are just reflectors of the light. Just like the moon. It doesn't have any light on its own. The moon is just a big reflector. But the only way the moon has light is because it's been in the presence of the sun. And the only way you and I can arise and shine and shine to a hurting and darkened and broken world is that we remain in the presence of the sun and get filled with the light, get filled with his presence, get filled with his spirit. It's only then. Then the Bible said this, and that's why it's so important. It says, and the Gentiles will come to the light, but not only the Gentiles, but the kings too. What does this mean? Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. In other words, when Gentiles see the real light, they're going to come start running. When they see a church that's shining forth with the light and the characteristics of Christ, they will start coming. They will start running. They will be standing outside waiting for the doors to open because they will want to know what is it about you that gives this light? What is it about you? They'll be saying things like, I know you're not perfect. I know you're not flawless, but you know what? I see something about you. I see how you treat your wife. I see how you treat your family. I see how you are raising your kids. What is it about you when you got laid off and acted like there was nothing to worry about? There's this peace about you. What is it about you when you got that bad news from the doctor that you still came in here with a smile on your face and worship in your heart? What it is about you when everything else is going crazy, but you're over there singing to yourself with joy in your heart? You see, church, the problem is that the, the, you know, the, the world wants the real thing. And if there is ever a time, it's right now. It's time for us to take our stand and say no more. It's time for us here in this church to shine like never before. Shine young person in that school. Shine student in that college. Shine in that workplace. Shine businessman or businesswoman. Shine educators. Whatever influence, level of influence you have been placed with, shine. Remember, you have been elevated for his visibility. Every promotion, every blessing. God said, I got, I got you there to be a light for me. Somebody there in that workplace, somebody there in that school, somebody there in that college needs to see me and that's why you are there. You may be someone's only Bible. You may be someone's life or death. And I stand here tonight because of the influence. I can look back over the last 40 years of my life and see those that God has placed in my path to help me. Here I am now. And it's not for my glory, it's for His. God, whatever I can do to bring you glory in this time, let it be. I love this quote and I want to share it. I'm getting ready to close, I promise. I'm only one. But still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not, to refuse, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. Who are you going to be a light for in this time? Here's my altar call tonight. And if you would, would you just go ahead and stand with me because I'm going to ask you to do something. It's going to be a little strange. It's going to feel awkward at first. If you can. As a sign of surrender, before we get ready to come to this altar, I want you guys to do this. I want you all just to raise both your hands. 
And would you repeat these words after me? Lord, use me to shine the light. Everywhere I go, help me to shine the light. Everywhere I go, help me to be bright for you. Help me to rightly reflect you. Use me. I ask for your elevation, for your visibility. Help me to use my life to show you, to reveal you to those around me like never before. Amen. You put your hands down.